Okay. I used to do this thing when I was a kid. I'm going to guess that many of you have also done this. Uh, we've got TVs, and, and there are a variety of displays, you know, computer monitors that you can do this with. But when as a kid, I discovered, now, uh, those of you who are a little younger, in the olden days, these were all actual knobs on the front of, <laughs> TVs used to have knobs on them. It was crazy. I know you can't even fathom this now. But there were these things that, that you actually turn. Now you navigate through a series of, of menus, you know, on the screen. But there were these knobs. But there was a knob, for instance, labeled tint. Remember tint? And when I discovered that you could play with that tint knob and turn it all the way one side and make the screen look really sickly green, well, I thought it was a riot. I mean, you could just turn everything, look at this, you know. You could turn it way back the other way. I guess the other way was kind of really red, right? They just play with that and goof around with it. Um, kids, that while there aren't knobs on the TVs, you can still get to these things through menus, and your parents really love this. So if you go change these settings uh, and just watch their delight as they come and, and go to watch the news, and it's a really green. Uh, there's a color knob. You know, you could, you could take a, a color show and turn that color knob way down and magically it was a black and white show it was like going back to olden times you know <laughs> um th there were uh, uh knobs for brightness you know you could turn the brightness way down and as luck would have it you know when you turn the brightness down the screen gets really dark and you can't hardly see anything but there's this other knob now a setting not a knob that is on all these displays called contrast and I remember uh, as a kid wondering, well, what? I, I'm not sure what that means. And you can play with it. And as it turns out, it's a contrast between various colors and brightness levels on the screen. It's a little bit different than just the brightness or the, it, it does something kind of different. And if you play with it, you can do this. You can go home and watch what happens if you take that contrast and turn it all the way down. I'm going to suspect that none of you will leave the picture that way. It doesn't look good. We need that contrast on the screen. And what it does, if you turn that all the way down, is it does make this, the screen really kind of dark, but it, it, it's all just like muddied. There's, there's no clarity to what you're seeing on the screen because there isn't that contrast between kind of the highs and the lows, the brights and the darks. Now, if you turn it way too high, that doesn't look quite right either. Then it, it looks kind of odd, and, but there's this sort of middle setting, right? Where you get that contrast dialed in, and you can see the picture kind of the way it was meant to be seen. I want you to consider that as you turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew today. Matthew chapter 21. In case you haven't figured this out, we are going to take a break for a couple of weeks from Joshua because as I said, it's the Passion Week. Now we're going to talk about it, as we frequently do. But Matthew chapter 21 is the same telling from Matthew's kind of point of view as, as we just read in Mark. So Steve came up and he read this account from Mark. Matthew's got sort of a different flavor. It's the same account. And this account is, is at least referenced in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, They've all got sort of a different flavor, a different angle from which they approach this scene, this narrative. But here we are in Matthew, 
chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples. Now I want to stop right there for just a second before we we keep reading here and just give you a little bit of the background without going to all four of the Gospels this morning. But John in particular uh, points out, uh, uh, excuse me, Luke in particular points out that that there was this, no, it is John, I'm sorry, it's John, uh, that, that as they're approaching Jerusalem, that there were people in Jerusalem looking for Jesus. There's this whole little account where they weren't entirely sure where Jesus were, was. Uh, the Pharisees were frightened of the following that he had sort of accumulated here, but they didn't know where to find him. They were already thinking, maybe if we could arrest this guy, take this guy off the table kind of, you know? but they didn't know where he was. And so they had, I guess in their day, an APB of sorts. You know, they, they sort of had this, this lookout for him. If anybody can figure out where he is, we would love to know where he is. And it's against that backdrop that Jesus now is coming to Jerusalem. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Do you think that Jesus knew that he was being looked for? May I remind you, one of the qualities of God is His omniscience. (laughs) He knew, didn't He? And yet, here He comes. I mean, it's sort of an incredible, which is why John puts it in there. He says, uh, you know, He was being looked for. And then here He comes. And so they approach Jerusalem. And Jesus sent these two disciples, verse 2, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. (laughs) We've talked about this before, but this is a riot to me. This is funny. I mean, this for us would be like someone asking you to go and just jump in a car and use it, you know? If Jesus were here, and he said, Paul, I want you to go down to the end of the road there, and you're going to see a pickup truck, and the keys are going to be in the ignition. Get in it and bring it back to me. Now, if somebody asks you, why are you getting into my truck? Just tell them, it's okay, the Lord needs it. Now, put yourself in my shoes as I go to walk down the road to look for this truck. Am I concerned about this? A little bit. I mean, this is kind of weird, right? I'm really going to get in somebody's truck and just take it? And if they stop me, as they're somewhat likely to do, and say, why are you stealing my truck? I'm just going to say, it's okay, don't worry about it. The Lord needs it. They're going to shrug their shoulders and be okay with that? That strikes me as implausible. And yet, we're told... That's precisely what happened. Jesus goes, or the disciples go, I'm sorry. The disciples go, and they see, sure enough, this donkey tied up there with this colt. And they go to untie it. And somebody does indeed say, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? And they say what they've been told to say. It's okay, the Lord needs it. And then everything's fine. (laughs) they do untie this thing and bring it. 
Can you just imagine? I mean, there are so many of these small miracles or seemingly small, but I think if we just sort of pump the brakes and think about what's going on here, this is incredible. This is something else. Furthermore, keep in mind that what the disciples are untying aren't, isn't, isn't just the grown donkey. It's what? It's the colt. It's the baby that hasn't ever been maybe ridden before. Anybody ever tried to uh, train a horse to be ridden? Sometimes you call that breaking a horse, right? Oh, it seems like such a cruel term, you know, breaking the horse. But you know, you're trying to get the horse to figure out how to wear a saddle and how to have somebody sitting on its back, which isn't just immediately natural to a horse or a, or a beast of burden like this. Again, this is miraculous. This colt shouldn't be okay with just having somebody sit on it. But they do this. They bring this animal under these incredible circumstances. And of course, we're told in verse 4, and in particular, Matthew is really big into this because Matthew's primary audience is where Mark's primary audience, the, the passage that Steve read for us earlier, Mark's primary audience is maybe more of a, of a Roman mindset, very action-oriented. Mark's gospel is incredibly action-oriented. But Matthew's audience is very Jewish. Now here we are reading it, even though we're a bunch of Gentiles, but just you know, his, in his original writing, he's writing for Jews that have a certain background, which includes prophecy. And so Matthew throws this little nugget in there. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. <laughs> Matthew just reminds his readers, there's a prophecy about this. Did you know that? You remember that? There's this prophecy. Do you see how this fulfills that prophecy from hundreds of years before? Here it was, right? This is why it happened. It's such, a, such an incredible event, and yet it fulfills this very specific prophecy about Messiah. Verse 6, the disciples went, did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them, and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And then most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And we're told elsewhere that part of what was going on was there's this feast of the Passover coming up, and it was a, a feast that had drawn lots of people to visit Jerusalem, that may not have normally lived there or normally done business there even. So there were all of these crowds, these throngs of people. And here they are. They start throwing their cloaks down on the road. Remember those old uh, cartoon images kind of, a, of uh, somebody taking off their coat and throwing it over a puddle, you know, so that a really nicely dressed lady wouldn't have to step in the puddle? <laughs> Maybe sort of like that, you know, it's this sign of, of respect, of sort of making a red carpet of sorts, you know. They start taking off their cloaks and just laying them down in the street. Can you imagine? 
Some of them cut off palm branches and they're waving these palm branches and they're throwing those down in the street. It's this incredible event. And Jesus riding on this foal. And the crowds that went before Him and that followed Him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when He entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And there again, see, it's sort of explained. We've got this almost conversation between the people who lived in the city and then all of these crowds who've showed up. They're elsewhere referred to, all of the crowds, as disciples. You know, sometimes we think of that word disciple as meaning the twelve. But it was more than, I mean, disciple is just a word that means follower. And there were all of these followers that had come with Jesus. And, and then they enter Jerusalem and there's all this carrying on, all of this celebration. And people who live there are like, what in the world is going on? You know, we, we sort of get a heads up about everything. If there's a, a dignitary that's going to visit our city, you know, we kind of usually know about it beforehand. But you can imagine if somebody came into your neighborhood and there were these crowds of people and they didn't really seem to be your neighbors. You didn't even recognize who they were. And there was just all of this celebrating and carrying on. You'd wonder, what? when you want to go out on your front porch and say, what is this? What, what's happening in my neighborhood, right? That's what they say. What's going on? And the crowd say, oh, Jesus is here. Remember the Jesus that we've been told in another gospel that's being looked for. <laughs> Can you imagine those Pharisees? Oh, 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 he is? Okay, game on, you know. Right? But this scene is so incredible. We love this scene. Today is Palm Sunday. We refer to that because of those palm branches that were cut down. And we still, this beginning of the Passion Week is known as Palm Sunday. It is sort of the, the initiation of a sequence of events that are going to end up in a completely different place. And that's what I like reminding myself sometimes when we talk about this account. That this is a part of a larger story. This Passion Week is all about contrasts, isn't it? There's such a contrast here. Imagine when Jesus enters this city, he enters this city with this great celebration. People in the streets yelling, praising. I mean, genuinely celebrating. There is excitement here. Not even a week later, when Jesus exits this city, he'll do so with a very different tone. There will not be celebration. There's going to be a very quiet hush as people watch what's going on. He enters this city hailed as a king. He's going to leave this city less than a week later accused as 
a criminal. Sentenced to die in a way that only the worst criminals in their society were ever put to death. You see the contrast? Coming into this city, it's likely that the disciples, in fact, some of them say, we still didn't really understand what was going on. We didn't really get all of this till later. Never mind that Jesus had laid much of it out for them. Jesus had told them that he was going to Jerusalem to die, that this was part of God's plan. But even so, as they come in, can you imagine being with Jesus as the, as the crowds are hailing him and taking cloaks off and laying them down and waving palm branches and yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, this is great. Can you imagine what it was like to be with him? Oh yeah, we, we know this guy, right? We're with him. I mean, I, I'm speculating some. But again, are they that different than us? You know, there may have been even a sense of pride. He's the most popular guy in town right now. And they're with him. They've been traveling with him. They just had breakfast with him earlier that morning. You know, they're his friends. They're his posse. When Jesus leaves the city, most of them wanted nothing to do with him. They were terrified to even be associated with his name. So much so that Peter, who shortly before, you know, just makes this bold proclamation, oh Lord, I will never forsake you. I will never ever leave you. Hours after that, when people say, hey, aren't you one of the guys that knows Jesus? Weren't you one of his disciples? Didn't we see you with him? He would say, nope never heard of him contrasts right from joy to sorrow from exciting jubilation and and just life in the city to a pall of death that hung over everything from being hailed to being scorned There's this incredible contrast. And even as we spend Palm Sunday and we look at this account, this exciting account, and it is exciting. Don't you wish you could have been there to see this, to take part in this? It's so great. Because as the people are yelling that this is is the king, they're absolutely correct. They're not wrong in the slightest. They're wrong in terms of what they suspected might happen next, you know, how this would play out. But they are 100% correct to say, this is the Messiah. Hosanna. This is David's descendant. This is the king. This is the one we've been waiting for. We're told that they were uh, praising and celebrating because of all the miracles that he'd been doing. And many of the people that were there, these crowds, they'd followed him. They'd done so because of these miracles. They'd witnessed them with their own eyes. Some of these people may have been people who were on a hillside a while back where nobody had any food. 
And Jesus just said, well, here's a little kid who has his lunch that he brought with him. Let's just divide that amongst everybody. And they ended up with basketfuls of leftovers, right? I mean, they've seen this stuff. They've seen lame people get up and walk. They've seen blind people see. They've watched dead people walk out of tombs. So they're excited. They're jubilant. What none of them really saw coming was the end of the week. When all of that changed, when even his very closest disciples just scattered like roaches when you flip a light switch on, you know. Contrasts. And I think those contrasts are good to remember. Even now. You see, this week is all about these contrasts. Because the thing that we have a hard time doing sometimes is seeing all of this as one picture. That's what that contrast knob is for, or the contrast adjustment that now we use buttons to, you know... (laughs) That's what that's for on a display or on your television screen. It's to bring that picture to a place where it looks right, where we're seeing the whole picture, where we're seeing the difference between those highs and lows and the brights and the darks, and you see a whole picture. If you turn it all the way down and you take away all of that contrast, you do not have an accurate picture. And even as we look at this account today, if all we think about is just this account and how great this is, or if maybe in a larger setting, we really like to embrace the King of Kings, the Messiah, this this King who rode into His city, (laughs) legitimately, His city as its king and the celebration we love celebration and yet even right now and this is what good friday is about but even now on sunday morning we don't want to minimize what's coming later in this week because these contrasts make up a complete picture In Philippians, the Apostle Paul writes, this is a letter to Christians in Philippi. This is another verse that I love. I know I say that a lot. I I really like a lot of them. (laughs) But Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And and part of what he's talking about there is, you know, his own life and the the accolades that he used to have. And that now it's all meaningless when compared to his knowledge of Jesus Christ, his knowing Jesus Christ, that relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul writes elsewhere, his prayer 
for brothers and sisters of Christ that he is writing to is that they would all be increasing in their knowledge of Jesus Christ. In other words, that we would have a a clearer and clearer picture of who he is. And that picture is not just Sunday morning, Palm Sunday, coming into the city of Jerusalem with lots of celebration. As it turns out, much as we may not love talking about it, that picture with its contrast adjusted appropriately is that Jesus is there to do a job. He's tried explaining to his followers, listen, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. And, you know, we tease these guys every now and then. They're like, okay, and then they forget about it, you know. And they say, we didn't really understand until later on. How could you not understand? He told you multiple times. But, you know, careful. You know, we're all the same. We get caught up in these things, and he couldn't really mean that, right? Well, he did mean it. That even as he enters with this celebration, Jesus knows full well what the end of this week is going to look like for him. He knows that tenebrae, those shadows, are coming. But he also knows that there's a reason for it. Do you know why we refer to this as the Passion Week? Sort of a strange term, isn't it? But it's because of the passion of Jesus Christ. The object of that passion? Us. It's you. It's me. And Jesus, because He's God, understood a thing. I am here to pay for the sins of this whole world. A lot of these people can't stand me. It's okay. I love them. And I'm here to do a job. This is part of the plan. Did it make him happy about it? No. One of the things we often look at in that that garden scene on Good Friday, really it would have been Thursday night, you know. But that garden scene when Jesus is under so much stress that there is blood coming out in his perspiration. Physicians will tell you it's very rare and only happens under great, great duress. Was Jesus excited to do this? Well, no. But was it his delight to do this? His passion to do this? Absolutely. It's this contrast. This is what He is here to do. And so as He enters the city of Jerusalem, on Palm Sunday, on Sunday morning, when we celebrate this entrance and all of its importance and what this means to hundreds, even thousands of years of prophecy, this said, He is coming. The King is coming to His city. He's going to come. The rescuer is coming. Your salvation is coming. Here it is. (laughs) That's exciting, right? 
But even in that excitement, days later, the tone of all of this is going to shift so radically that heads will spin. And that is part of an accurate picture of Jesus. Which is why, again, I invite you to come and join us on Friday night. I know it's an unusual night to come to church. But it's a special night. We don't do it out of morbidness. We don't do it because we want to wallow in the... And yet, it's part of an accurate picture of our Lord, who throughout of His passion, bled and died for you and me. He did that because He was passionate about you. Because He loves you. Because He wanted you to be rescued, to be brought close to Him. And He knew you needed help getting there. And that only He as a perfect and blameless sacrifice could do it. After hundreds of years of these these sacrifices of goats and lambs and it was all just a cover. It was also very temporary. It didn't ultimately fix anything. The Bible says by the blood of goats and lambs, nobody's saved. It's just a covering. It was like a band-aid. Jesus is here in this scene to say, this is the cure. I'm the cure. I'm going to fix this. Even at the cost of my own life. And so we have these incredible contrasts that make up this clear and accurate picture of Jesus Christ. And just like if you turn the contrast way down on your TV, I promise you are not seeing a picture that looks like what has been designed for you to see by directors and producers and camera operators. And, you know, it's not going to look right. And if you and I don't consider these contrasts, our picture of Jesus doesn't look right. Jesus is the King of kings. Hallelujah. He's also the suffering servant. Hallelujah. Now that feels a little less, right? But there it is. That is the whole and accurate picture of Jesus Christ. He's both. At the exact same time. And we have such a hard time, right? You know, we sort of want to choose one or the other things. And Jesus says, no, I'm I'm both. I am your king. I am your savior. I am God himself. But I'm also going to come and humble myself. And I'm going to go give myself up for death as a criminal. It's kind of the foulest sort of criminal in our, in our society even. I'm going to do this for you. And this morning, it is good for us to remember, He has done that for you. Now a week from today, I said last week, I hope to blow the doors off this place. Because he did go to death 
And then he decided not to stay there. And that's exciting. I hope we don't get tired of being excited about that. I never want to lose the thrill of what that means, that power and its specific importance to me, Paul McDonald. And I'm here to tell you, it has importance to you too. And if you haven't yet accepted this beautiful Savior, this King of Kings, and this suffering servant as your Savior, as your Lord, as your Rescuer, do that. You don't need to wait until Easter. It'd be real exciting to do it on Easter. You know what? I don't know what this week holds for you. You don't either. Do it right now. Because this contrasts this picture of, of radical contrasts is your Lord and your God who came to rescue you. And for all of us, I think part of the reason it is good to think deeply about these contrasting pictures is we are called to look like Jesus Christ, to act like Jesus Christ, to be Christ-like. And when we don't have an accurate picture with all of its contrasts of what that looks like, that makes it really tough to do. That's why Paul says, my prayer is that you would just know Jesus better. How can I look like Him, be like Him, act like Him if I don't even know Him? That's insane. And so you and I are called yet again to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Even with all of these contrasts, these things that might seem to be contradictions even, but they're not. They're just these wildly contrasting pictures of who your God is. His power, His might, His majesty, His authority over everything. And at the exact same time, His humility. Even his humility unto death as a criminal. That is your God, friends. That's who he is. And I want to celebrate that today. I hope you do too. Our Father God, we thank you for another opportunity and another year of life that you've given us. To just take this in, this scene, this celebration, the noise, the joy on people's faces, the excitement. And yet the reality is that this is a week as you were pouring out your passion for us that was to end very, very differently than it started. And yet, you were still there. You didn't run. You didn't delay. You didn't hide. You were there. Knowing everything that was to happen in this week. Out of love and care for us. We thank you for that, God. God, I do want to pray. We do this so often, but I don't want to get tired of doing this either. 
because I recognize there may be people here who for whatever reason haven't put their trust in you. Maybe it just hasn't clicked before. Maybe today's that day that they see you in just a fresh light that they hadn't really seen you before. God, I pray that's the case. I pray that you would strip away those doubts, break down those barriers. Help them to see that the way to you, the way to relationship with you has been made perfectly clear through Jesus Christ. It's right there. There's nothing stopping us from coming to you because of what Jesus Christ did in this Passion Week. And that all you call on us to do is believe that in simple faith. Even like a child would. You just say, okay, you said that. It's good enough for me. I believe it. Thank you, God, for your love and for your salvation of us. You came not when we deserved it. You loved us while we were still sinners, while we were still far, while we were still hostile to you even. You still said, that's okay, I love you. And here's your rescue. So God, we celebrate that today. We celebrate those contrasts. We praise you for the God that you are. And I pray that we will know this picture of Jesus ever more clearly with all of its contrasting elements and be more like him. Thank you, God, for Palm Sunday. Thank you, God, for Good Friday. Thank you, God, for Easter. We love you, we praise you, we pray all this in Christ's name, amen.